Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Children's Literature. I'm host Susan Robb, and today we're talking with author Michelle Markell about two books, Brave Girl, Clara and the Shirtwaist Makers Strike of 1909, which is illustrated by Melissa Sweet, and Hillary Rodham Clinton, Some Girls Are Born to Lead, illustrated by Luyan Pham. Both of the books are picture books or books published by Balzer and Bray. So the first book that that we're talking about is the book on Clara Lemlick, who is an immigrant. She led the largest strike, which was a walkout of women workers in U.S. history. And the second is, of course, about Hillary Rodham Clinton, who we all know lots about, But uh, this talks about her background and some of how she got to be the person who we know in the news. So first, Michelle, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, we're talking here about two women, one born in 1886 and the other born in 1947, so 60 years apart. What qualities do you see in each of them that made them persevere? Well, these were both two women who believed in themselves and who were very feisty and unintimidated by males. So I'd say that's probably the biggest thing. And who also believed in that women were equally... um, equally talented and gifted and smart as men. And how different was it for a woman in Clara's time to be thinking that? What was her world like? Well, <laughs> um, that was a, a, much different, a much different time. And you had, um, if we want to talk about the immigrant women in New York City during the turn of the century who were, they were, they were exploited as workers in the factories and paid a lot less than men. So you had the huge wage difference and who were treated um, very um, shabbily, who didn't have, who didn't have good working conditions. And um, well, I'm just going to have to use that word exploitation again. So our workplace, in terms of women in the workplace, things have changed considerably, although there still are, as, as you probably know, there still are garment factories overseas that have um, bad conditions like this. But um, the early 1900s was a time when women still hadn't gotten the right to vote yet. So it's that progressive era, and the people are a lot of women are getting more active, and we're just like on the um, brink of a new era. 
and they get the vote in 1920. So um, Clara's, her this book takes place before that, but that's there is that progressive um, uh, feeling in the air that it's time for things to change. And Clara's story is also an immigrant story. So I wondered how unlikely would it have been for Clara to become an activist at that time? Well, there were a lot of immigrants in New York City, and a lot of them were involved in the trade union movement. So it was um, very likely. It was in the trade unionism was in the air, and a lot of immigrants um, learned about labor movements in the old country. So um, that's it was in the air, and that's how she found out about it. And so it was not untypical at all, but what was not typical was for the women to be involved. It was mostly men, and the men in the labor movement didn't think that girls had the strength and wherewithal to um, endure a strike and do all that would be necessary to, um, you know, to be active in the movement. So that's what was unusual. Were there things about the shirt? Wastemakers strike itself that you found surprising when you were doing your research? What I found surprising was the the cruelty of the of the courts and how these women I mean it, it was it was astounding to me the level of cruelty and viciousness uh, how these women were treated the strikers and thrown into the wagon and um, well some some of this these details are in the book um, the, the thugs that were hired by the factory owners to beat them up, that there was just, I mean, it didn't matter that they were women, that they're human beings, and they were, they were treated so horribly. And then once they were brought before the judges, some of them were sentenced to the poorhouse, young girls. It was just, it, that astounded me. So was that worse, do you think, because they were women? Um, is it worse because they were women? I well, I don't know. I, I I mean, I really don't know enough about how the whole you know the prison system and the court system worked at that time. But um, but definitely they were a big um, the courts and the and the political establishment was on the side of the factory owners and of business. So these women were were threatening. Then what about this story as a whole? What originally prompted you to write it? Well, I knew that there was a dearth of labor stories out there for kids, and everyone's got moms and dads or, or caregivers that work. It's just a, a huge part of our life, work, and it's something that um, we don't really talk about that much, the rights of workers. And these, I wanted to write a book about a strong woman. I had written about an artist, Mark Chagall, before. And, I, and I'd written about Henry Rousseau, another artist, but it was time to write about a strong woman. And I, my husband, who's an anthropologist, actually pointed me in the direction of the garment workers. And that's uh, when I did the research, I was just, I was so impressed and inspired by these stories. And I thought kids need to, to know about this, this heroism and dedication and um, how we can change if we work together collectively, how change can happen in this country and it, it can be more fair. Do you think kids find it hard to picture uh, what life was like uh, that, you know, back then? Um, I think I tried to give them a sense of what it was like by using all of the details, which I was able to, um, I was able to do because Clara was a writer and was able to, uh, she just, she wrote for 
Good Housekeeping and some other um, publications and described in detail what it was like to be in those factories, which was it really um, enabled me to paint a picture in a really um, descriptive way. And I think it helps kids understand what that was like about pricking their, you know, if you prick your um, finger on the needle and it bleeds on the cloth, you're fired. I mean, that is like so vivid. So um, I think the book does help give them, you know, take them into that world. And I think Melissa's illustrations with the texture and the fabric, I think it is very evocative of that time period. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's really unusual and really beautifully, beautifully done. Uh, What kinds of responses have you gotten on this from women and girls? Or anybody? (laughs) I'm not going (laughs) to. Sorry about that. (laughs) I've heard that they're up from a lot of, of teachers and educators that they were waiting for a book like this to come along, that this is this issue um, of la- you know, labor and human rights and women's rights and workers' rights. Um, they're also important and it, uh, for, for kids to, um, to think about that, you know, as a society, we need to care about others and we should all, you know, we should all have the equal rights to, you know, to be paid the same and be treated respectfully and, in this country and what, you know, what the country stands for and in, in the world too, you know, human rights around the world. There's some basic, um, basic rights and dignities that we all deserve. Now, it was interesting in talking about um, coming, you know, where a book comes from, the Hillary Rodham Clinton book, which is a picture book, uh, the pub date was January of 2016, uh, which seems so long ago, but the, uh, you've said that it was acquired in 2014 and that you both had fast turnaround requested from the publisher and that at that time, uh, Hillary had barely declared. So uh, was she someone that you had thought uh, separately about writing about, or was this something that came just directly because the publisher wanted to have you do this? Well, I was interested in writing another book about a a strong woman because I realized after writing uh, the book about Clara and looking into these Women's History Month publications and looking more at children's literature and what books had already been published, that there was there was a huge um, hole and vacuum here for for books on leaders. who were women, and I and sure, I thought Hillary would be a good idea. The publisher was very interested. In it. So it was a mutual. Um, we had a discussion about this, and I did some research, some initial research for a couple of weeks, and I said, "Yes, let's do this." And were there other things particularly challenging about writing this book? This book was very challenging because of the short turnaround and because there was so much information. There has been so much written about Hillary, books about her and Bill, books about, um, you know, the time period when they were in, in an office or when, when Bill was president, and also books about how she has been treated um, because she's a woman who has wanted to lead. So um, from a feminist angle and the articles that were written about um, criticizing her um, when she was first lady. So there's just articles, books, interviews, footage. There was so much information. So the challenge was the focus, what goes into the book. And, and picture books are brief 
and um, they have themes. And so you can't, they're really introductions for children. So they can have an angle, they're introductions, but they, they're not meant to be comprehensive biography. So you have, to, you have to be selective. And that was very difficult to sift through all the information that I had. What about the illustration? Did you have in your mind as you were writing it a notion of what you imagined illustration might look like? I was delighted with this illustration. When I had originally spoken to the editor, she said that traditionally books about contemporary figures are realistic and often hyper-realistic. It's sort of um, a I don't know. It's just, it's a tradition. So when I saw this, it was much, um, I think Luyen's illustrations are very dynamic and lively and colorful. I mean, it was really what I had in my mind. I was, because when, when I'm writing, I'm seeing these historical figures as characters. And so she just, she totally captured that. I was thrilled. And I think she brought so much extra to it, um, with her, with what she did with women around the world, her, her, um, her, illustrations of um, the women's rights picture with all the faces of those women who are, who are all identified in the back matter and the, um, the last picture in the book that has the successful women from around the world. I think she just added so much. So that's a really interesting thing. So, so when you were writing this, did she, were you actually thinking of her both as, you know, was, what I'm wondering is, was the, real, you know, real life Hillary, um, going on in your head while the character that you were writing about, did you really think of her as an, an entity you created in a certain way that you were taking on a story? Yes. I I think it's just how, that's just how I operate. I mean, she, she becomes a character. This is a story. It's literature. So that's how it works for me anyway. I'm seeing her. I'm seeing her doing these things as I'm reading about them in a sort of miniature way that's going to be in the picture book. <laughs> that's fascinating. Is it, um, was it hard to make that transition or did it happen pretty quickly? Um, I think once I started writing, once I get in front of the computer and start typing, that's when it happens. Because I'm visualizing the pages as a picture book writer. That's something that I do. And I'm thinking about the different scenes. I'm picturing her in scenes. That's fascinating. It's interesting. Um, all right, let me talk some about the story. So you see Hillary here upstaging some of the boys in class. You, you talk about her um, raising money for the poor through sports events. What were qualities that you learned about in your research that you wanted to make sure to bring out? Well, she seemed to really enjoy doing good for others from a very young young age. She took pleasure from it. I mean, she was encouraged to do this, but she enjoyed it. And she enjoyed, and I could relate to this, she enjoyed being doing well in class. She took pleasure from getting those A's. I mean, I, I, mean, I have to confess I was an A student, so I mean, I could relate to that, you know, just taking, and, and even doing better than some of the boys. Um, she was encouraged by her mother to be independent. Her father was, was very strict, but he also, um, I think he encouraged her to be tough. So those were two qualities that really served her well, be independent, be tough, and do good. And she was good at all those things. 
Now, you also reference uh, that her mother told her to aim high. Are there other examples of women she admired? She admired Margaret Chase Smith, and um, that's the one that I remember from the research. Um, She wanted to be, also, she wanted to be an astronaut when she was young, (laughs) even though that was not something that was that, uh, that that wasn't done in those days. Right. So another career that was virtually would have been conceived of as impossible for a woman, right? Right, right. Now, another aspect of her life that you uh, bring out is how she was a leader from early on. And you talk about her as a student body president in college. What about that caught your attention? Um, Well, she, she went to a prestigious East coast school, Wellesley, and she was really a little bit out of her element there. A lot of the girls, um, we're from the East Coast. She wasn't. So, but that didn't seem to intimidate her. The fact that she was kind of a bit of an outsider. Um, it didn't intimidate her at all. And she just was um, interested in leading. She just took enjoyment out of getting up there and, and helping and <clears throat> contributing. Do you think some of so this... It wasn't faced by her, you know, the, you know her, her difference in her slightly different, middle, more middle class. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this would have been something that came out and what you were looking at, but do you think some of what she was pursuing even um, in college or before were things that girls didn't usually gravitate toward? Absolutely. In those days, even though it was inc- women were encouraged to be educated and refined, after graduation, it was assumed that they would find a, and this, of course, is a generalization, but that they would find a husband at one of the other uh, prestigious East Coast schools and settle down. They were not encouraged to pursue professions. They were encouraged to be literate, cultured wives. And then in her case, she goes on to become a student body college president, um, goes to law school, similar to someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, at a time when most lawyers were men and uh, it was not easy for women to find a place uh, in in law, right? Absolutely. Only 10% of, of the law schools were women in those days. And a lot of Ivy League schools hadn't been admitting women either. Most of them didn't So in those days. It's just hard to believe that now, but that's the case because they weren't, they, this culture wasn't encouraging women to go on and become professionals. So what did you find about her as a lawyer? What kinds of things did you come across? Um, as a lawyer uh, or as a law student? Well, what I, I read about, one of the, the articles I read described her... Um, in action when she did these mock trials and how um, she was, how not um, stereotypically feminine she was, that she got up there and it and just, um, she was so forceful and um, comparable to what a man would do. And a male lawyer was describing how, you know, how astounded he was because she didn't have any of these, uh, you know, like female mannerisms, how you're supposed to behave, body language and just her tone of voice. You can see that now too, when you know when her her cool delivery. I think um, she's just so cool, calm, and collected. 
mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when she speaks. Which is interesting because one of the things you talk about before her becoming a lawyer, you know, during summer breaks, that uh, she uh, went and worked with migrant farmers. And that one of the things you allude to is her being called fearless. And certainly a particular thing about her has been she's faced unbelievable amounts of criticism, like her or don't like her. She certainly has been someone who has been in the crosshairs of people with a lot of, you know, comments and criticism of her as a woman, as, of, as a political figure, whatever. But, but there is something where you bring yourself into this kind of limelight and you have to be extremely tough to deal with that. Uh, what were some of the things that you saw in her as you talked about her that maybe would contribute? What does it mean to become someone who is fearless? Well, um, just to talk a little bit about the um, going up and down the dangerous blocks in Texas, uh, those were neighborhoods. They were poor neighborhoods. And as, we, as you know, some, not all neighborhoods, but there, there is crime in some of these neighborhoods. And for a, a, a white, young white woman to go in there and be talking to voters was um, considered a little bit um, a brave thing to do. It's not something that very many women were doing in those days. So that's just, and it, but it didn't matter to her. She went with um, one of the union leaders to some, you know, very, um, um, what's the word, just some you know, sort of dicey um, areas. Um, but she enjoyed herself and she, it's what she wanted to do. Um, but what's, what you were to also talking about just her attitudes when, mm-hmm in terms of being having to stand up to the press and things like that. Right. Um, um, well, I think she, I think I remember her reading about, you know, just bring it on. She would just think, okay, just bring it on when they started to be critical of her. And she would just um, steal her nerves because she knew what was coming. And it just didn't matter to her. You know, what mattered were her goals and not the obstacles that people were putting in front of her. And maybe part of that is from the kinds of things that you've talked about her doing at a young age. I'm sure she met with criticism then too. And then, you know, in looking back on that, I guess you can look and say, yes, I know what was happening then, but I stood firm on this and this is how that turned out. Yes. And again, you know, her mother encouraged her to stand up to bullies, which of course is serving her well. (laughs) It has served her well over the years. Now, what about ambition? Because that's always a tricky one. You know, what does it mean to be ambitious? And I expect that for a lot of people, you know, when they think about ambition in a man and ambition in a woman, that's still sometimes seen differently. Yes. Um, Why is it that ambition is supposed to be a negative for a woman, but not for a man? I mean, it's just, it's two different standards. And I think she thinks it's ridiculous. And we also think it's ridiculous. And I think that, you know, the message of this book is that anyone should be, should have ambitions and be regardless of their, of their race or gender or anything else. Everyone should be able to realize their dreams. Hopefully those are good ambitions. (laughs) Ambitions to be uh, productive members of society, to realize your gifts, you know, whatever those things are. In her case, it was politics and wanting to make the world a better place. What, uh, I, 
I think um, we wouldn't want to deny that to anybody. Now, do you think uh, as she was pursuing these different things, did you get a sense that she had a down the road focus of where she was heading and which I'm sure everybody you have to, but did you also find some things that led her in areas serendipitously that, that proved to be a big part of her story? Well, I've read, I've read from a lot of sources that people expected her to, to go into politics pretty early. And there were very, uh, several of her friends were disappointed when she decided to move to Arkansas and, um, let and be the um, you know play second fiddle to what Bill was doing there to, to his um, political career there. So I think there was I don't know I I don't know for sure and I haven't read at what point she ever thought she might want to run for president someday. But certainly she had um, aspirations to um, serve in high places, and I think that was that probably came pretty young. I don't think she ever she would have ever put a um, I mean, and I mean, I can't. This is just my gut feeling. I don't think she put a um, any kind of limit on how far she could go because she was a woman. I think she just knew she wanted to be doing good, and however far she, you know, she could get, she would try. And like someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg factored into all of that that was going on in her life was balancing that with, you know, her role as a mother, right? Yes. Yes, and she um, was a very devoted mother. But it was difficult, as you, um, as I have in the book, when she's uh, Hillary w- was a new breed, a superwoman, and she running out of the courtroom to call a babysitter about her sick child. I mean, it was it was challenging, and I think a lot of women can relate to what a lot of women related to her then. Um, a lot of um, professional women. She was a real role model to them because of what she was going through, trying to do it all. Now, one of the things that Hillary uh, Clinton has talked about and is known for is that statement that women's rights are human rights. Uh, I guess you could say that about uh, both her and Clara probably, I would imagine, might have felt the same. Uh, with Hillary Clinton, she you know, keeps butting up against the status quo Um, so can you talk some more about how she represents change over time, like the pivotal things that you saw, uh, where she represents that? Well, I think this book really shows what women of her age have had to go through over the different decades, beginning with, you know, the sixties when the women's movement started and, um, you know, her, her college years and the protests when the women's movement was getting off the ground and, you know, fighting, you know, getting into law school when it was difficult. And then the superwoman uh, trying to do it all when she did get her law degree and became a lawyer and, and the, all these firsts that she accomplished, you know, the first woman in the law firm and uh, the first woman in her graduating class to, um, you know, to give a speech. Um, so it's a good um, historical tour of women's history, you know, modern women's history. Mm-hmm. And, um, that, and that's really what I, was, I wanted to show, not just um, what her life was about, but what was going on for women. And a lot of kids um, have never heard about this before, especially elementary, elementary age kids. So I think this is a really good introduction to them uh, for what women have had to go through. Um, and they're surprised, I think, by um, the opposition 
that she faced that there was um, because they just take it for granted, you know, they take it for granted that women are lawyers now and women are doctors. Maybe the doctor they see, you know, is female. They're the vets. There's so many women professionals, but it's been hard fought. And it's good for them to know that change doesn't happen overnight. And there's people that have um, paved the way for us, people like Hillary. Yeah, and so. Yes. Yeah, no, I was thinking too, as you were talking, that certainly, you know, people can find, you know, change challenging and upsetting. And you talk about different opposition that she was facing and the kids might not be familiar with that. Uh, One thing I wondered too is, were there times where you saw that she froze up? Were there times when she froze up? Um, I think, I mean, I think there were, there were a few difficult um, interviews, but overall there were far, there were way more times when um, she just soldiered on. I mean, her big obstacle, her big obstacle when she was, well, the obstacle in terms of her um, wanting to accomplish something when she was first lady was the health plan and how she bounced back from that, that her, her big health care plan and how much opposition there was. And she was devastated when um, that didn't go through. It was, it was, you want to talk about ambitious, it was a very ambitious health care plan. And um, it, it was hard for her to bounce back from that. So I'd say that was one of her, uh, you know, she froze up and was inactive for a while there. But then she picked herself up and dusted herself off and, and soldiered on, as we know. She she went to um, she did her international visits and um, went on to do some other great things. So that was sort of one of the low points. Yeah, and it's interesting because that's one of the areas where you know it, it traces back uh, in her background to all of her advocacy for children and and all of that. It's interesting that you know that's one of those times where you can kind of see all the pieces of who you've been come together. Yes. Absolutely. In the campaign, she's uh, walked a fine line focusing on, you know, the historic nature of her run as a woman. So how do you uh, view that? Do you have thoughts on maybe why she chose to uh, handle it this way? Um, I think there was a little bit more of that in the earlier when she was seeking the nomination last time. And I think that um, she read a lot about, I'm assuming her and and her staff read a lot about um, what they could have done to improve the campaign the second time around. So I think she hasn't been focusing on it that much, but it's come up because in this campaign there's been discussion about – um, how men treat women and, and the respect that women deserve and such things. So it's become, it's come to the forefront now at this point in the, in the election where we're talking about um, women's issues and women being treated respectfully and having equal, equal rights, equal rights to respect in, in to pursue um, equal chances at, you know, um, becoming professionals and going to the very top and becoming president. And, um- what are your thoughts in I, oh go ahead sorry my thoughts about that is that um this could be such a wonderful inspirational 
moment for so many young people. And I think that grandmothers and mothers have been um, have, re- have really embraced this book because they want their daughters to be empowered and they want their sons to um, learn about what what women can do, what girls can do, that we're all equals. And it could just be a groundbreaking moment because if you can be president, you could be anything. I mean, that's considered, um, that's the ultimate job, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So um, she would just be, uh, she would just be taking so many people with her, you know, it would just be, it would just be a wonderful thing for, for girls and for women. What about, she knows that. Yeah. Now, and what are your hopes with uh, kids who come to know her story and Clara's story uh, through your books in terms of human rights and women's rights and uh, examples that people like this set? Well, again, um, I think that both books show that women women are equally capable as men, and and they should be treated equally. That if they have any kind of aspirations, they should there should be no obstacles put in front of them. And that I think everyone has the right to realize their gifts, whatever they are. Right? We all want to. Um, that's just like the, one of the most wonderful things that can happen in your life if you have talents to be able to use them and I mean what a rewarding thing that is and also I would like them to take away the idea of um, working to better your community and how that can be a rewarding thing the idea of of civic virtue that not just that it's an obligation that we need we should be responsible for each other and if someone else is hurting we should take steps to help them out but also that it, it can just be a wonderful thing it brings you closer um, you know, we're all part of, uh, we're all part of the same fabric, right? And it brings you closer to other people when you're helping them out. So, um, a sense of social conscience and caring. I mean, we want our kids, um, not just to be knowledgeable and to learn about math and writing, but also to be good people, good, caring, responsible people. So I think both of these books show good, um, inspiring role models. One of the things I wanted to ask you before we uh, close is about your work, what, how you've chosen the books that you've chosen in the past, and where you're headed. Well, I seem to like to write about people who persevere, have persevere despite a lot of challenges, people who believe in themselves. Uh, my book's about um, Rousseau and Chagall, the artists. Um, those are some themes in those books. Um, really strong themes, um, and people who go and go up against um, some sort of um, establishment, the art establishment, the political establishment, the business establishment, people mm-hmm. who are unafraid to tackle those things um, and to make it um, better for the rest of us and show that it takes time, but you can achieve what you want to achieve. Nothing happens overnight, but it's worthwhile, and it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> So those are the kind of stories um, I would say that attract me. And what yeah. are what are you uh, thinking going forward? What kinds of topics do you want to cover, or are you working on? Well, my uh, right now I am a work in progress. I've got some books about Eleanor Roosevelt that very much tie into this idea of. Um, the responsibility of being a citizen in human rights. Um, I'm still I'm writing. I'm working on those right now, so I don't want to talk too much about them because okay. things focus is you know they can things can change. But um, these 
the books are going to tie in very much to this. One of them, actually, I can speak a little bit about. It's a modernized version of her book that was published in 1932 called When You Grow Up to Vote. So I'm going to be a co-author with Eleanor on a book <laughs> about government. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, that's been very interesting researching all the changes that have occurred since 1932. It's been very interesting. One of the one of the chapters that had the most changes so far is the presidential cabinet, interestingly enough. But anyway, um, those are books that I'm writing, but my next book that's going to be published is very different than the books we discussed today. It's called Balderdash, John Newberry and the Boisterous Birth of Children's Books, and it's about the man that the Newberry book is, the Newberry Ward, I'm sorry, is named after. And it's a very lighthearted, humorous book. So the tone of these, these books we talked about today are very earnest books, but this book actually, the Newberry book, is humorous, lighthearted, um, and fun. That is really fun. When's that coming out? That is coming out in April, and I'm really hoping that it, it brings kids to the 1700s and gives them a sense of what it was like for children in those days, how um, grown-ups view children and the things, the types of books that they thought it was appropriate for them to read, which were very preachy, moralizing books that were not fun at all. And then uh, John Newberry comes along and um, establishes children's literature and introduces all this playfulness and cheer. And um, it's just a really fun book. Very different. And where can people find out more about that? With your website? Um, they can find out about that book. Um, my website is www.michellemarkell.com. Terrific. So, well, we'll see how uh, all of this goes. And, um, but certainly the, the books that you've been working on are, you know, both important and, and in the second case, potentially prescient. And uh, I, appreciate, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you talking with me. Thank you so much for having me, Susan. It's been a pleasure. 